Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, David Bainey, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Secorum podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N, specifically as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. In this episode, we'll be reviewing a piece by an author whom, frankly, we're surprised isn't on Gary Gygax's Appendix N list, and we'll help you to serve this offering at your DCC RPG table. I'm Jen Brinkman, and with me tonight are the illustrious David Beatty. Greetings, Podites. And the ever-awesome Bob Brinkman. That would be me. So humble. (laughs) (laughs) Our Appendix N-era selection for this show is The Maker of Gargoyles by Clark Ashton Smith, as specifically suggested by Andy Markham. So, here you go. It should be noted that while Clark Ashton Smith is not directly named in Appendix N, he is the only one of the big three from Weird Tales magazine to not be named on the list. His contemporaries and friends, H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard, both have the distinction of being listed. In addition, Appendix N author Lynn Carter also worked with the creations of Smith, including his writings dealing with the Book of Eben, which we partially covered in Episode 8. The third story in Clark Ashton Smith's Avoine Cycle. The story takes place in the fictional French town of Avoine. Much as Lovecraft-based Arkham on Boston... Clark Ashton Smith's Avoine is based on the very real Auvergne region, and even more closely tying the story to our previous episode, H.P. Lovecraft wrote a story out of the Aeons that also intertwines with this fictional province, as have a number of other authors. On the gaming front, folks might remember the Dungeons & Dragons module X2, Castle Amber, by the late Tom Moldvay, and that contains numerous references to Avoine. Certainly this is a region filled with potential. All told, Clark Ashton Smith left us with 18 pieces, some incomplete, others mere outlines, of events transpiring in this area. Well said, Bob. So I guess we should get along with the synopsis now. Tell me a story, Uncle David. (laughs) (laughs) The story itself involves a stonecutter, shunned and feared by the people of the area, whose affections towards a local girl are spurned, if she recognizes he exists at all. Hired to create a pair of gargoyles for the new cathedral, he cuts two pieces of true masterwork, but in doing so, pours all of his negativity, hatred, and lust into their creation. Infused with these black emotions, the gargoyles come to life and wreak havoc, leaving death in their wake. That was a little creepy. Yeah, thank you. I worked real hard on that. (laughs) Good story, though. I liked it. Oh, yes. I want to read 
more. I want to read the rest of the series. Well, there's there's only 18 pieces, and most of them really aren't that long. A couple of them are poems. A lot of them are fragments that were never finished or alternate endings. It was a little esoteric in language, but overall it was a really good read, and I love the gothic tone that it sets. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I thought that the way it was written and the use of language gave kind of an ancient feel to the gargoyles in the story, even though their creation's contemporary with the telling. They're new, but they feel old, and Smith's prose really evokes those feelings that the gargoyles are an ancient evil created and partly maybe almost awakened by the sculptor. I started thinking about the creatures from the old TV movie Gargoyles back in 1972, <laughs> and even though those are living creatures, you know, more akin to what's found in the core book, that imagery really stuck with me. Sort of like the life of Eben, much of the story is told almost like a historian would tell it. You know, these things happened then, this is how people reacted, and I thought that served to bring kind of a subtle sense of realism to the tale, not requiring much interaction with the characters themselves that might interfere with suspension of disbelief. Hmm. Interesting. It did still have the omniscient feel of a story being told, though. You didn't get into the depths of what led the lead character to be so tormented. Yeah. Well, I can say that I took all the corks off my forks after reading this. <laughs> um, this is a I'm lot, so proud. A lot more pleasurable to read than Life of Avon. I really enjoyed it. I've always been fascinated and loved gargoyles, even, I guess, as a kid. There's a lot of them perched around my apartment. So it kind of I don't know. I kind of forgot about them, if that makes sense. So reading this kind of brought them back to the forefront. I think that the writing itself, it flowed really well. And like you guys said, the, the descriptions, they really put pictures in my head. And I love to play with words. I also really dug how he, in the book, the main character sculpts two gargoyles. One of them represents his rage and all the anger that he feels, while the other is the uh, carnal lust that he feels. So it was really cool to see how each was described and sculpted and, and even how their personalities differed from one another, being that they represented two different emotions. Right. Right, because the deaths that occurred afterward were mostly caused by the one embodying the rage. Yeah, exactly. The, the poor guy with Lust was bored for most of it. Oh, he was awesome. <laughs> he was peeking through windows, looking at, at the girls while they were changing and bathing. And just, you know, he wasn't really being harmful, but he was definitely leering at them, making probably some uh, cat noises. Yeah, he was being disturbing and making lewd gestures while rage was tearing people in half. <laughs> And the story kind of reminded me a little bit of the Cask of Amontillado in that it goes through and they tell you that the locals have tormented him and he hates them. But again, there's, as Jen said, there's no backstory on that. There's no description. And yet at the same time, I think Reynard is still much more of a realistic character than anything we'll see in today's writings, sadly. Oh my God, he's straight from Facebook. <laughs> she doesn't like me I will stalk her <laughs> but he is depicted much more eloquently than yeah. anything you'll ever see these days a higher caliber of troll I didn't really think he was a, a bad guy when, when you first got into it I kind of felt sorry for him but you know got ended up having some real issues I think when you get towards the end and he's really kind of confronted by the people he doesn't like and the woman that he does like it's really interesting to see exactly how screwed up he is yeah that kind of tragic figure with that level of torment is just you know you could do a silent film about it and mm. that might be the best way to capture it yeah that'd be awesome 
Oh, yeah. In the dark vein, at the very beginning when they said gargoyles and they started describing all of them up on the roof in the varying versions of expertise that they'd been carved in, because, of course, his shine out. I was actually reminded of the Gargoyles cartoon, of all things. Because <laughs> despite being Disney, it did get pretty dark in its yeah. theming. You know, in the vein of Fantasia, Black Cauldron, the original Sleeping Beauty. That, that sort of dark stuff that isn't necessarily for the kids. That's fair. Yeah. So are we ready to jump to things to possibly stat, or do we have some other things? To sure. Why don't you start us off, David? Actually, there was a mention of the spirit of murder, and I thought, wow, that would be a really cool patron to make. Mm. Um, the gargoyles in the story, I think one of the things that you guys out there who possibly uh, give this a read, uh, they, they almost have, they're all, I don't know, I've already mentioned the individual personalities of each one um, holds, but when you think about, when you see the statuary out, uh, for sale, and you look at some of the the churches, you know the famous churches with the gargoyles. Uh, there's there's rarely one that looks the same. So I think it's kind of a shame to just have one stat line for a gargoyle. I think they should oh, be unique. So that's an excellent point because it can depend on the level of expertise of the sculptor, but also the tools used. Yeah, or even his mood when he's his general you know mood when he was the uh, inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think, would be really cool to have some uh, wink-wink-bob, uh, wink-wink-bob, random gargoyle tables. Uh. I, yeah. I suppose, okay, I can do, I'll do a gargoyle <laughs> generator, sort of sort of like the dragon setup. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> you jumped on the grenade and did a module. <laughs> you did an adventure. You, you taunted me about, hey, Bob, make this adventure. And I said, no, you do it. And you did. So I guess um, we'll call them like, because gargoyles already exist in the book, but they're different because they're fleshy. Um, so maybe they'll, they're true gargoyles or something of the sort. I'll, I'll create a set of tables, and hey, yeah. maybe then we can get uh, Purple Sorcerer to add them to the generator. Oh, oh yeah, awesome. and, and one of the columns could be the impetus for emerging from its stone form. Oh. Yeah, that, that's a possibility. I was, I was thinking of kind of building them based on like a dragon or a demon. So depending on the facets that are assembled, it might have different moods or desires. That's oh awesome. yeah, and different physicalities. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you you caved into my peer pressure immediately. That was awesome. Well, well again, you... you went and made us look bad, dude. <laughs> no, you went and made us look great. You put out an adventure. Yeah. Oh, you mean us individually? Yeah, we kind of suck. But, uh... <laughs> well, what do you think? Bob? What were some of the things that I didn't mention that you were actually thinking about standing up? First of all, I agree with you about Modo, the spirit of murder. I thought that was really just. That's so evocative. Yeah. There's the possibility, of course, of standing up the two different gargoyles, putting together a spell you oh, know, to create yeah. gargoyles. That would be awesome. Maybe like a one-two punch with turn to stone? Gargoyles as a class oh, might be interesting. That's music to my ears. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's up your uh, alley. <laughs> right? And the main character, Blaise Renard, as an NPC might be very interesting. I think it'd be interesting to stat up the priest as well. The guy that's got to live around all of these. And live with the after effects. That's pretty uh, cool, yeah. Yeah, since this has a nice, nice dark feel to it, akin to those artist tools that I did in the companion for Elric. Oh, yeah. 
We, mm-hmm. we could do sculpting tools. Yeah, maybe there's a modifier oh, involved yeah. based on the patron influence. That's yeah, cool. I could see that. That might be really interesting. Even like a uh, a society of, of masons that are just dedicated to the creation of gargoyles would be kind of neat, you know? Ooh, there's an idea. Maybe with the creation of gargoyles, taking a nod from the things that Stephen Newton likes to do, maybe <laughs> if your background is stonecutter or mason, you get a bonus when creating them. Oh, yeah. Awesome. This is good stuff. I'm enjoying this. Well, you mentioned props. Uh, oh. I think you had actually brought up the sculpting tools in uh, Elric of Meldebene. Yes. What other things were you thinking about for this one, Jim? Of course you've got to do the sculpting tools. Mm-hmm. Or shattered pieces of granite. Oh, yeah. And to kind of go with the flow of this particular story, just scraps of green silk as a remembrance of... Oh. Yeah. The girl that was attacked. Oh, yeah. I never, That's awesome. I didn't even think about that. Well, what did you think about? Obviously, gargoyles. Um, <laughs> I, I, when I was reading it, I was looking at my gargoyle yawning on my mantle. So um, if you had the money or if you have some sitting around like I do, you could even kind of set them around the table, you know, maybe uh, perch them on a shelf or make them present some way so that while you're running the adventure, if you were doing a, a gargoyle-themed adventure or an encounter, They'd be peering down at the players as they were playing. Do you guys remember in Intrigue at the Court of Chaos, the encounter, as you're running it, would have the characters take a lump of clay? I was thinking, stealing that from Mr. Curtis, you could actually have some kind of encounter or something built in to where the players actually sculpt their own gargoyles out of clay. Oh, that could be fun. That was one of the most uh, memorable adventures that I've ran since I started DCC because it was so cool to find a way to get players involved, you know, not just in character, but to have something for them to actually do. Not just rolling dice. Yeah, so, you know, you even have like a benevolent gargoyle priest that possibly rewards them with something at the end of the adventure, and it could be that they sculpt little gargoyle statuary and whatever they do whatever it resembles maybe there's a special power that's given to that so or maybe it could turn into a familiar oh yeah that would be awesome so there you go Hmm. bob how about you my thought was flexstone is your friend (laughs) Um, for those who don't know what flexstone is it comes in a spray paint canister but it's really more of a sprayed Texture. It sprays out little flecks of, of multiple colors so that you can spray something and it takes on the appearance of granite. And so if you run out and buy one of those cheap lawn ornaments, for example, that tend to be a lot less expensive than the yeah. really cool Halloween ones because they're white and cement, you can just flex stone the whole thing and it looks like it's made of stone. Awesome. That's a great idea. Oh, yeah. What was it that Troy Tucker was using the terrain pieces you find in the fish tank section. Oh, yeah. Oh, you can get some really, really cool stuff. If you're playing with miniatures, you should be buying all of your terrain in the pet department at Walmart. <laughs> it's, it is so cool what you can find. There's a, uh, also a ton of that stuff on Amazon, too, which is generally pretty cheap. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Check that out. But, yeah, that's a great idea. How about music, Jen? Oh, me first? Yeah. Well, that's weird. Okay. Um... <laughs> Well, hey, since I mentioned Disney earlier, you know, that Fantasia soundtrack has a lot of Tchaikovsky and some classic fugues to it, which really kind of evoke this feeling. I actually spent almost all of today listening to Franz Liszt because I had an excuse to, finally. He's a piano composer known for having less of a clean line about his music and things are more crazy and diabolic. So the... 
first one I would recommend is the Mephisto Waltz number one. It's dark, based on Faust, and it's a brooding love story that takes place in the village inn, so very much like the area where cool. the final attack happens in this story. Nice. Uh, the Faust Symphony includes some lovely, brooding Gregorian choral during the end part, which is the sketch of Mephistopheles, and the Dante Symphony is just perfectly evocative for this feeling. Very and cool. I, I can include links up there you know, yeah. when, when we're posting. I found tracks that are over an hour long for these symphonies. Wow. Nice. And that'd probably make great background music. And yeah. if it doesn't just slow it down by half on Audacity, your players are just going to shiver. Oh, oh! see, I, I had been enjoying it. Now you're going to make me not. <laughs> I made a playlist on Spotify just uh, in case anybody wants to check it out. It incorporates music. I kind of went through the story and broke it down and found some actual music that I liked. And it ranges from Gregorian chants to a little more, maybe, I want to say electronic. Uh, it still has a very goth old feel to it. So I threw that into a playlist along with a lot of sound effects that you may not use for anything related to what we're talking about. But if you need or you have an encounter where possibly they're in a forest or they're out in the plains with a, a, a strong wind, there's some actual wind effects, some rain, uh, storm mixed in with the chance. Uh, if, you, if you're working on an adventure or an encounter itself, there may be some things in that playlist that you could use not even related to the story that we're talking about today. Nice. What about you, Bob? The first thing I, I went seeking out was French Gothic music, because, well, French and Gothic story. <laughs> and there's a wonderful Gothic folk band in France called Malicorn. Huh. And their stuff is, it's got kind of that haunting, dark vibe without being night on Bald Mountain dark. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Then there's another artist who goes by Mr. Jack, and he does a lot of gothic ambient music. Oh, that's his song, awesome. uh, his track, The Castle of the Witch, is really kind of haunting and evocative. I found that I had to sort of be careful looking for gothic ambient music because most of it was just heavy synth and not very good. Yeah. And, and that doesn't really work. If you are like a large portion of the DCC player base and you want something that's dark with more of a metal vibe for maybe we're Haddad. Um, there <laughs> is a group called Fs, and that's E-T-H-S. It's not X with a speech impediment. It's Fs. And their song, Crucifer, is just fantastic. It's gothic metal. It's wonderful. I'm going to have to check these out when we get done with the show. Well, with all of the inspirational music and props that we can bring to fire up the players. What sort of adventures do we think of when we've read through this? What DCC storylines really sing as as we go through this? What about you, David? I'm going to pull one that's, I guess, probably been out a while. Uh, I think it was possibly not originally written for the Dungeon Crawl Classic Rules, but was put out some, maybe last year, The Halls of the Minotaur by Harley Stroh. Isn't that like DCC 35 or something? 35A. Oh my so god, guessing... that's, that's like 3rd <laughs> Ed or something, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is something I picked up, and it's you know I've got I think we all have stacks of things that the dark one uh, has available every time yes. we hit one of these cons. So yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> some of them get slid to the back of the pile. So this is one of the ones that I picked up the other day and started reading through, and I was like, this kind of hits on it because. It's kind of based on an order that was wiped out by the famed Cezarkon, um, the Order of the Beastmen. But the story revolves around a creature who is terrorizing a village, a.k.a. gargoyles, possibly. Uh, so it could be reskinned that way. The Order of the Beastmen, which is spoken about in the story, could actually be an order dedicated to the gargoyles or possibly... Uh, the making of the gargoyles and or, or the masons that you were talking about yeah exactly cult or of... if it's a cult of beastmen it could be the gargoyles themselves exactly so i thought that was kind of cool yeah, and there's like a black basalt tower that's been kind of deserted for ages in the adventure and i thought well that would be kind of cool to maybe that the gargoyles were sculpted into this tower but when Cezarkon came and laid the bad down on everybody all that uh, all those souls escaping and, and the anger they felt possibly charged the uh, the gargoyles on the tower and, and you know gave them this motive to kill people and uh, raid the villages so that's uh that's something that i thought was pretty cool all right i'm that feeling outclassed cool. <laughs> that, is, that is really cool. That's really cool. For me, first of all, right off the bat, Gargoyle, page 413, core rulebook. It's there. Um, <laughs> but you said those were fleshy, right? Yeah, those are fleshy. But there are Gargoyles in the system. But I immediately started thinking of how some adventures could be reskinned to really tie into Vuan. And, like, for example, the Emerald Enchanter, which is mm-hmm. a great adventure. If you were to replace the Emerald Enchanter with Blaise Renard, driven mad by the power that he has and embracing it, it would make a much darker version of the adventure. You know, much more tormented, much more Seven Deadly Sins. Yeah. yeah. I think that would have a real good creep factor to it. That's a great idea. The jeweler who dealt in Stardust, all you have to do is make him a stone cutter. And perhaps that's why the gargoyles come to life, is the stardust. Yeah. There's nice. that. And again, another really fun and, and uh, creepy adventure to begin with. If you were to change Renard from a sculptor to a woodcarver and a whittler, you could drop him into the Shutter Mountains. Oh. Kind of go for that whole pumpkin head vibe. Oh, awesome. And yeah. And you know, if it was set in the Shutter Mountains, the the whittling tools would have real power. Oh, definitely, definitely. And while we've been talking about this, I couldn't help but think the those owl men, the the Galactrix. Galastrix, yeah. Galastrix. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know if it would make them creepier or a little more welcoming if they were gargoyles. But if you wanted to sort of change the setting a little bit of where they are, go in and up as opposed to down, make it a tower, certainly you could replace them with gargoyles. Well, I tried to avoid the bird-like creatures when pulling some similarities. To things with wings? (laughs) Yeah, I I tried to keep it to something more gargoyle, even bat-like, if you will, but just for the factor of those huge flapping wings, those are the primary aspect of the critters that is described in the narrative. Definitely. So, the Screaming Temple, 
you really loved the bats in that one, Bob. Uh, though I hate you. <laughs> now, I'm not familiar with the Screaming Temple. Who? Um, that was a third-party pace setter games, I believe. Okay, I'm gonna check that. Um, out. Yes, I think they did a a DCC version of it. It's rather infamous because when they were doing the conversion, they did a cut and paste from DM to Judge. And they did it universally through the module, so it reads, <laughs> Good Judgment Games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, fun but with it's editing. it's a good adventure. Uh, yeah, I think there were like a hundred of them in print. And if you want to try to tell me that the laser harpies from the one who watches from below <laughs> are not gargoyle-like, yeah. I mean, down to their gaze. One of my players actually had her familiar petrified by these things. Or, oh, yes. Yes, or, the familiar or, became a lawn ornament. Or maybe that was by the vile hounds, but it was right in the same corridor, so they have lovely connotations. There's small gargoyle-like creatures in Glipcario's Gambit, the Devilkin, mm. and they travel as a flock. And, man, I gotta hand this one to Harley Stroh. One of the form descriptions for the fool in Fate's Fell Hand, just the description of him alone, uh, not knowing his attitude, mind you, but the physical description, it could have been the second gargoyle in the story. Very cool. You could take any of the buildings in the temple districts of Punjar and have gargoyles placed atop them. Yeah. Even Doom of the Savage Kings, it- the very beginning, you're starting with the rumor of unknown creature attacks. Like you were saying, David, why not? Yeah, no, that, that know, fits it perfectly. Substitute that. I did a little research on the spells. We can do turn to stone and the reverse, turn to flesh. Those are third level arcane spells. Transmute earth, the fourth level spell, can essentially do the same thing, so... If we were to work something into a spell to create a gargoyle, maybe we could use those spells in conjunction. If they were being, like, enchanted like a magic item? Right. And if you're casting on this sculpture, perhaps. And interestingly, all three of those can be affected with the second level spell, Arcane Affinity, which can enhance some of these things. You did your homework. Yeah. And there's a dragon power called Petrifying Gaze. So there's any number of possibilities, especially if you're sandboxing it. I was actually surprised there weren't gargoyles in Theater of the Hand, because the setting really seemed to lend itself. And while we have the gothic and religious tones matching this story to a T... There are surprisingly no gargoyles in Transylvanian Adventures. So, insert your own. Huh. Yeah, that surprises me about Transylvanian Adventures, but I haven't actually gone through it in depth. That brings us to our featured adventure for the show, Carnival of the Damned, by our bacon wizard himself, David Beatty. Uh-huh. Yay! Yep, as a matter of fact, I received my first physical copy today, so I've been holding it close to my bosom all day. Cool. You want to read us what's on the back? Uh, Sure. Give us the elevator speech. Uh, The Carnival of the Damned. A band of villagers are trapped in a mist-shrouded carnival in the dead of night, desperately seeking the missing children from their village. Death awaits as they encounter twisted carnival oddities like the Hall of Mirrors and the dreaded Bone Coaster. 
Filled with dozens of intricately designed encounters and random threats, the Carnival of the Damned will happily unleash horror into any campaign. Bedevil players with nightmares that have captivated and terrified hundreds of players at our hobby's largest conventions. Yay! Nice. And yeah. it is pretty. It is. It's filled. It, well, first of all, it's got that beautiful Doug Quebec cover. Oh, yeah. And which other artist did you have in there? Did you say you had Simon Todd? Well, uh, Simon did a few pieces for me, and he was very nice to do that for me. Last year at Gary Con, I approached him, so he did some, some things for me. Most of the artwork was handled by Todd McGowan, and Todd is just super fantastic. You guys have probably seen some of his work in Black Powder, Black Magic. Ah. A good friend of mine who used to own a comic store here locally who decided he was going to become an artist. Stan Reed did a few pieces. And uh, Danny Prescott, who was the very first artist um, that I commissioned to do this with, he did a few pieces. Um, so, ton of artwork in this thing. That was one of the things I really wanted to make happen when... Uh, uh, when I started this, because you guys know as well as I do, art grabs your eyes. So. Yes. Oh, definitely. And the adventure itself is really evocative. And having played it and survived my, my single session uh, <laughs> last year, although it was only two hours, so it wasn't nearly as impressive as making it for four. <laughs> one of the things I immediately thought of was if Blaise Renard had taken his gift of making gargoyles and had fled and had been tormented i had this image of this twisted spiteful man and his creations joining a sideshow joining a traveling show yeah. and it would be so easy to drop that into carnival of the damned or to reskin a couple of the creatures although the art for those creatures is really cool to reskin a couple of creatures as gargoyles as well it just fits very nicely yeah yeah, that, that tragic figure, I don't want to give too much away since it is a fairly new thing oh, it's and okay. it's floating out there. Um, yeah, the story is, is based, I don't think this is giving away too much, there's a, a really uh, nasty bad guy in the adventure who's kind of at the center of everything, and he actually wasn't such a bad guy at one time, but through a turn of events, he got to be pretty nasty. So uh, I do think that that kind of relates to the, the gargoyle story with their main, the main character in that. Exactly. He didn't start that way. And toward the end, even he knows he needs to end it. Even bad guys need redemption sometimes. Having played in, in your campaign style where we got the storyline and, and we got all of the imagery about it throughout, it just, yeah, really struck a chord. I love that thing a little too much. Well, that makes me happy. <laughs> well, I didn't get to play it in the full story format, but I got to see David pretend to be a giant blind mole with a mallet, and that was pretty <laughs> awesome, too. I thought you were going somewhere else with that, Bob. I'm glad you uh, glad you held off. Clarified? Yeah, just yeah. a little. And hey, you've got those cupids. That tunnel of love could yeah. just have gargoyles in it, and... It, end effect would be about the same yeah. yeah oh no just just picture because cupids are normally normally when you think of them unless they're just painted on their little wooden statuary well maybe as you're going through they start to crack and miniature gargoyles come from within oh yeah you know just in case carnival of the damned isn't already creepy enough <laughs> yeah yeah a couple rough patches of skin for the little cherubs yeah yeah um i must say this adventure is longer than the story we just read. Oh, 
Most certainly. <laughs> even even without the artwork, it is more words than the story. Yeah, we that just was one thing I was, I was worried about because most of the DCC, you know, most DCC adventures follow a template of sorts, you know, and, and Joseph has a, a winning strategy there with keeping things short and sweet, you know, giving you just enough. So I, I kind of went a little overboard with this. But basically, I wasn't getting paid by word to, to write it, so I went a little overboard with the story. Um, and John Mark, <laughs> at some point, was like, uh, we probably need to put a, a different part in this where folks who are just looking to jump in this and run it can go with it. But luckily, he left the longer bits of the story in for those who might want to you know, delve a little deeper into it. So hopefully, you guys will like that. I don't know. It may be too long for some folks, but hopefully, there'll be some people who appreciate having a little more story than maybe is normally given. Well, and I think it fits so well that you could just set it in F1. If you were running something, if you were converting, you know, Castle Amber, which references it, and you were converting that to DCC or doing anything else set in that area, Carnival of the Damned could just be dropped right in without, you wouldn't even blink. Yeah, definitely. Instead of the normal things, you know, Portal Under the Stars, Sailors Under the Starless Sea, while that's a rite of passage... You run it once, and maybe it takes twice before your players get everything. You could actually run this for the same group of people, I'd say at least three times, and have the option of giving them different attractions to visit. They could experience three completely different paths and still not have a It could be ran a lot of different ways, and I think that's one of the things that there's got to be at least two or three encounters in here that you could plug into your own sandbox uh, little carnival that you may have. So there's, I think there's some value to it, even if you don't run it as is. You know, when I was a kid, I used to purchase all the D&D modules. I never ran any of them, but, you know, I always plucked ideas from them. So hopefully in the least, you know, you guys will get some ideas from it. Well, look at that. The Bacon Wizard gave us an adventure with a lot of meat on its bones. <laughs> Yay! So now it's available in PDF and digest size print. Yes, it is. As I said, I got my first copies today. I was very pleased with it. Kovacs Yay. did an amazing job on the cover. We're hoping uh, to get ours before the Gary. The color scheme is perfect. Yeah. yeah, he nailed it. But um, it is a digest format, and you can get it. I think you can uh, get it on uh, John's website, purposesaucer.com, and also Drive Through RPG. And as a matter of fact, as of the day we are recording this, it is the hottest DCC product on all of one bookshelf. Both RPG Now, Drive Through RPG, it is the hottest DCC product right now. Oh, that cool. means you are outselling the free stuff, dude. He's outselling <laughs> the core book right now. Uh, well, that's just because a new one's coming out, though, right? Uh, just take Clearly. it, man. Just take it. Take it. <laughs> oh, no. I, it, listen, in all honesty, if one person likes it, I'm so flattered. It, it's, it's humbling to write something and have someone make a comment on our, our G Plus community or on Facebook and, and have something favorable to say. Because, you know, I think a lot of times when we do things and put it out there, maybe we don't see it in the same light that some other folks might see it. And that always kind of lifts you up a little bit to find that one person that, you know, hey, this is really cool. And you're like, ah, awesome. Or just wait till all the people that are afraid of clowns come up and punch you at GaryCon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Great. Clowns and snow. Oh, well, you know, speaking of GaryCon, there are 13 judges 
on the schedule alone, running games through Sunday, wow. plus all sorts of off-book and after-hour shenanigans. And I think our, our, we could say that the three of us are included in those 13? Not Bob. No, oh. I'm not running TCC, I'm just running Call of Cthulhu. Which is awesome, but yeah. it's not DCC. Well, Jen and I will be there running events. Yes. yes. So if you're if you're considering this is when this is going to come out, if you're in the area and you're on the fence about coming to the convention, this is releasing midnight on Friday. Get your butt in your car and get to CarryCon. Yep. Come meet us. Have fun with us. You can always get a one day pass. Uh, some other road crew shout outs, real quick here. I know we're pressed for time on this episode. Uh, Mike Carlson is going to be running at Marmalade Dog. Al- 21 in Kalamazoo. That runs March 18th through 20th, and he's going to be running DCC on the 19th. Dieter Zimmerman will be running at HoosierCon in Indianapolis, April 1st through 3rd. And Bruce Cunnington and Lee Nielsen will be running at the UK Games Expo in Birmingham, United Kingdom, and this is June 3rd through 5th. As always, drop us a line at thehub at sanctum.media if you've got something coming up, especially since the new Road Crew stuff just got released. (laughs) And as usual, we would love to see what you create based on the works we cover here. In this issue of our companion, in fact, we will have the addition of a Deep One hybrid class from Joe Salvador, uh, related to our last episode. So we'll be adding it to the site, and we're going to slip it into this episode's companion just to make sure it gets more exposure. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Feel free to email your creations to us or find us on the regular social media sites, and keep an eye out for our future topics so we can include your material in the show companion. Remember, if we do a printed compendium, we're also going to need some original art to flesh things out. Very true. And as our listeners and readers know, we've continued to work on increasing the quality of the material we present. The addition of a funnel adventure by the Crazy Bacon Wizard really kind of took us to the next level. (laughs) And uh, it reminded us that pushing out content as fast as we can isn't the goal here. So when we've got a little more time to produce things, what we can provide is so much better. And with that in mind, we, in speaking to the library's gatekeeper, have decided to take the show to a monthly schedule so that we'll have more time to create stuff, be able to delve into some more longer pieces. And it allows for some producing time as well. Well, sure. I still have hair left. It's okay. (laughs) Uh, This episode released during GaryCon actually begins our new schedule. So our next episode will air on April 1st. Seriously. Huh. Or or not so seriously. For April 1st, we're going to cover Robert Aspirin's Another Fine Myth, because it's April 1st. We need something kind of light and yeah. fun. That's where we stand with our new schedule. And that will be the first Friday of each month, at least for the foreseeable future. Yes. We can work with that. Yep. Well, I'm glad, because we have to. <laughs> <laughs> we just told these people we're going to. I hope that in listening to the show, you have found something to inspire you, something that you can take to your table. Jen, do you have any last words? Uh, <laughs> find us at GaryCon. Uh, if you're anywhere in the region, you have zero excuses. Exactly. Come out and meet us, guys. We want to meet you and uh, come play some of our events if you're coming out. Thanks for listening, guys. Later. Be inspired. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. See you.
Join us again in April as we open the doors and celebrate April Fools with Robert Asprin's Another Fine Myth. The Sanctum Secorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2015.